0: Okay, good morning, Boker Tov. Good to see everybody. We have the privilege of Shabbos of reading not one, but two Partios and together completing the book of Shemos, the book of Exodus, two-fifths of the Torah done. It's hard to believe, it feels like it was just uh, simplest Torah. So we will, uh, as usual, do an overview of the Partios and then go back and delve into a specific Pesukim. We have a little challenge uh, Vayaka Pekudai are repetitious, of course, of Truma Tzav, as we'll talk about in a moment. So there's not, uh, I won't say there's not that much because there's always plenty to talk about. But the classic Mefarshim don't have that much to say because of, they've already offered their commentaries earlier. But uh, just going back. So Vayaka Moshe is called Das B'nai Yisrael. Our Pasha begins with Moshe assembling all the Jewish people. And why does he assemble them? What does he seek to communicate to this assembly? He reminds them, Sheshesh Yom Asa Malacha. Six days you do work. But the seventh day is Kodesh. Is Shabbat Shabbason. You're not allowed to do work. Lo The only Malacha that's actually explicitly stated is the prohibition of Havara. You're not allowed to light a fire. You're not allowed to kindle a fire. By the way, one of the classic debates between the between the, uh, Tzedukim and the Prushim. The, uh, or the really the karayim. the karayim. The Karayim who only accept the authority of the written Torah and the oral Torah interpret Lo means you're not allowed to have a fire lit in your home. They would sit, those who don't accept the authority of the written of the oral Torah, would sit in a dark, cold home and eat cold food for Shabbos. We of course have rabbinic interpretation, which teaches us that you're not allowed to light a fire on Shabbos, but to benefit from a pre-lit, an existing fire, certainly is permissible. So we have our lights on, and we leave the oven on, and we have a blach. I don't say the oven. But we have a blach on and a plate on. And in fact, as I've shared with you before, the Mishnah Burak quotes, there is a mitzvah to eat hot food on Shabbos day. The origin of tsholot. There have been actually scholarly articles, believe it or not, written about tsholot different recipes for chalent through the ages, from different cultures and Jews living in different regions. But the origins of eating Chalant or Chamin is exactly its name. Chamin is cham, Hot food on Shabbos Day. Why? Because by eating hot food Shabbos Day, one affirms their commitment to the oral Torah, to the Torah Shabbat. The only way you could have hot food on Shabbos Day is if you believe means you can't light a fire, but you can keep a fire lit. So if you eat chalent or you eat um, whatever you eat, or you eat what's my wife make? She learned from her oma. No, the German dish. Yeah, yapsig potato cocoa with meat inside, or she makes uh, green currant soup, that's what it is. German, any Germans would recognize that. Green soup. Delicious. Amazing. Anyway, but any food that you put up on Friday and it lasts till Shabbos and you eat it hot on Shabbos day, then you are subscribing to the oral tradition, to the Torah Shabbat Peh, and affirming your commitment that you are not a Karite. So the first thing in the parish is, Vayaka, Moshe assembles all the people and he teaches, he communicates to them the message of Shabbos, and we'll come back to that momentarily. Then we're reminded about when Moshe had told them, Take a truma for Hashem, call the divli bow. Everyone who has a generous heart I remember back in Pasha's Truma Reading an interesting pshat It seems contradictory Kekhu means to take It sounds compulsory Nadivli Bo means Generous giver So which is it? Are you taking it from people? Are you taxing people? Or are they generously giving? It sounds like a contradiction Kekhu implies You have to take They're not really willing to give And the divlibo sounds like they're generous art, they are generously giving. So which is it? And the answer obviously is both. The answer is k'chu means that there is a sense of obligation. It's not completely voluntary. But nevertheless, when one gives, one can give in one of two ways. One can give in a hesitant one can give in a resentful, one can give in a negative and bitter way. Or one can give with joy and gladness and a generous heart and generous spirit. So kikhu means it's compulsory. There's no choice. giving a tithing our, uh, our income, after-tax income. It's a big machlok, it's a rice, it's a minag. But whatever the case may be, we accept it as binding. It's a positive practice. It's a best practice and we encourage people to do it. So kikhu meitchan, people need to give Maiser proper way to live life is to look at one's income and to say I need to give 10% to God says to me I you know Lisa Mitzmied spoke last Shabbos she said her father who was very successful in business used to say I have the greatest partner in the world he lets me keep 90% of the profits. he only asks for 10% I have the greatest partner in the world the God who is really our partner and I would argue our senior partner is the one who really is responsible for our success, says, you take 90% of the profits, 10% I'm asking you to share with my family, with my children. So you have to give my sir. k'chum eitchem. But, nidiv bo, there's two ways to give it. Begrudgingly, hesitant, you make the rabbi come, beg, plead, make the rabbi get on his knees, or you could give it with a generous spirit. So one is supposed to separate 10% asset tax dollars and give it away, and with the 90% that remains, craft your lifestyle from the 90%. Tragically, we have too many people today who craft a lifestyle And they say oh, I have very little left to give away you know How many people I speak to About giving To such important causes Tom Shabbos Jewish Education Scholarship Fund Let alone The shul And the community I'm sorry I can't I just You know Life's so expensive Yeah, When you create your lifestyle Based on your income And only then figure out If you have money left In the olden days People would first say I have to give my 10% off the top. And with what's left, I can create my lifestyle. My vacations, my car, my home, my lifestyle will be parallel to what I have left after I've given my, my tzedakah. So there has to be the proper balance between the kechu me'itchem, to take a sense of obligation, a mandate to give, but in the divli bow, when giving, have it be a gift that is of a generous spirit with a generous heart. And the Torah goes on, so the contributions of the Mishkan. And then we have the construction of the Mishkan. Of course, this is all very familiar to us because we've just read about it. So we have all the details and all of the uh, utensils and all of the minutiae of the... um, of of the dimensions, and so on. Then, uh, if you turn, we're in Perikah, Lamed Hey Pasuk, Lamed. Moshe turns to B'nai Yisrael and he says, R'u karah Hashem b'shem, ben Uri ben Yehuda, he designates B'tzalel, says the Medrash, why B'tzalel? B'tzalkel, B'tzalel was successful of living and creating a shade, a shadow for Hashem. A shadow is something fascinating, right? How does a shadow work? A shadow is the perfect mirror image of the person, but it's not actually them. One gets a sense of who they are. If you look at someone's shadow, you can see an outline of who they are, but you don't actually have contact with them directly. But B'Tzalel created the shade, the shadow of Hashem. The Mishkan is Hashem's shadow. It is an image of who Hashem is, but it's not direct contact with Hashem Himself. The Mishkan is as if His shadow. So Salel is B'Tzalkel. He creates the... The uh, shade, the shadow of Hashem ben Uri, ben Yehuda. Hashem fills them with Chochmah, Bina and Das An acronym that is familiar to us Chabad Chochma, Tuna, Udas. What is the difference between these uh, three things? Chochmah, Bina and Das So very briefly Chochmah is wisdom, is knowledge, is information Bina is the capacity to process To derive insights Bina, like Lahavdil Bain, Bina's Bain, to distinguish between things, to extrapolate, and uh, Daas is applied knowledge. Daas is a knowledge or a wisdom, insights that are not only information in theory, but they transform you, but they lead to action. Applied knowledge. Chochma, Bina, Udas. We spent a lot of time on the Balatanya, Shner Zalman of Leadi, who introduced this approach to Hasidus, very different than those that had come beforehand. People dismiss Chabad today as being all about making a l'chaim and having a fabrengen. If you read the Tanya, you see the Balatanya over and over again, it emphasizes in terms of the construct of Chachma Bina Udas, learning Torah. Learning Torah, learning Torah, learning Torah, learning basmada, challenging and expanding the intellect, applying one's brain. The root, the core of Chabad Chassidus is Chochmah Bina Udas. There's no pay for fabrengen in the acronym. There's no lament for lachaim in the acronym. <laughs> it's Chachma Bina Udas. At the core, so that is Bitzal. Bitzal is distinguished. By the way, the Medrash tells us how old, the Shimoni, how old is Bitzal at this point? 17. He's 13 years old. He's a bar mitzvah boy. And look at what he's able to accomplish. Look at his vision, look at his wisdom, look at his skills, look at everything that he does. He has a, he's a tremendous artisan. And he is, of course, the architect, and he is responsible, the foreman, of the building of the Mishkan. He has a partner, Aliyev, whose name also, Ohel, Av, you could also derive from his name that he was born designated for this, called Ish Chacham Lev. And who is involved in the construction of the Mishkan? Someone who is described as a Chacham Lev. Chacham Lev is a fascinating description. Which is it? it? also seems like an oxymoron. Chachma is in the brain. So Chacham Lev is like the brain of the heart. What, is, what does that mean? What does that mean? you know it's been said the farthest distance between any two points in the world is the distance between our head and our heart too many of us live a fragmented divided life our head knows one thing and our heart feels another and they're not in sync they're not in synthesis they're not in agreement and the challenge of living life is which one do we follow sometimes too many people follow their head and they don't have a heart strict justice pure information robotic approach to life too much of the head they they lack a heart And others follow their heart, emotions, and instinct, and intuition, what they're drawn to. And they don't direct it, they don't interpret it, they don't filter it through their head. The challenge is to combine the head and the heart. This is of course what the tefillin represent. Tefillin of the arm is opposite the heart, tefillin of the head is on the head. And later in Seyfried we will read that a person who cannot go to war... Someone who's rachlevav, avera biyado, the Gemara says, what's the avera biado? What's the sin that this person has that they can't go to war? Hasach bin tefillin tefillin. Somebody who speaks between putting on the arm tefillin and the head tefillin. That's it. You can't go to war. You're, you're, you're labeled a person, a sinner, for speaking between putting the head tefillin and the arm it's Okay, I know it's halachi, not a lot of talk between putting the tefillin on the arm tefillin and the head. It's a question, you make one bracha that goes on both, two separate brachas, machlokas, ashkenazim, svarim, Rama but. That's such a terrible sin. Someone who murdered, I understand you can't go to war. Someone who denies God's existence, maybe. Someone who doesn't have faith, okay. Talking between phil and Phil that's such a terrible thing. So I once suggested that maybe what it means is a person who talks, it's a person who creates a separation, a barrier. It's a person who is, lacks the synthesis, the communication between the head and the heart. You don't want someone like that going to war. Someone who lacks a heart and only has a head, they don't like the, They lack the passion, the enthusiasm, the emotion, pure head, that's not, that's not a passionate soldier. Somebody who pure heart, doesn't listen to the instruction of the commander, that's not a good soldier. You need somebody who has the chacham lev, the head and the heart. So here too, the building of the mishkan requires this very, very important quality. called ish chacham lev. It's an unusual formulation because you think chachma is in the moach, is in the brain. But a chacham lev, you have to have a heart but a heart that is driven, a heart that is guided, a heart that is informed and inspired by Chachma, a chacham Lev. So the work begins, they begin building the Mishkam, the curtains and so on, the cover, the planks, partitions, the screen, then the Kalim. This is different by the way. Moshe and Bitzal have very different versions of how to build. What order? Do you first build the house and then the furniture? The furniture and then the house It was a, what exactly were they arguing about for another time. So we have the building of the Kalim now, the Aron, the Ark, we discussed it at length, the Parshas Truma, the Cover, the Kruvim, angelic form, uh, figurines in the form of, of children. We talked about that. We talked about the shulchan, all the ingredients, the components, what they were made out of. And then, of course, we have the menorah, and then we have the Mizbacha Ketoros, the altar for the incense. And the uh, parsha then ends with the uh, other Mizbach, where the uh, Karbanos were offered, the kior, we know is a very significant, made out of the mirrors. We could spend a lot of time on the uh, Kiyor. The uh, copper kior, made out of the mirrors. Uh, maybe we will come to it, actually. And uh, the courtyard. And then the uh, Masach Shara Patzer. Then Parshas Bakude, why, which we also read. Why aren't these two parshiot uh, required to be duplicated? What do you mean? In other words, uh, mm-hmm. if we first read uh, the other partial before, the Yaakov the all of those information. So, and now they... You said that the others are also... In other words, we have Bayakal Bikudai, but right. you mentioned right in the beginning that we... We already read Shruma Tzavah. You're asking, why are we reading this again? Why is it duplicated? Yes, That's a phenomenal question. Hold that question for one moment. We'll come back. Second Pasha, just very briefly, the overview. Ela Bikudai Mishkan, the accounting of the Mishkan. By the way, the Medrash asks, I think we've talked about this before also, why all of a sudden does Moshe have to provide the accounting, the budget, the... Uh, The accounting for the Mishkan, the Medrash tells us, because Moshe was falsely accused, the membership of the Jewish people said, we think there's money that's missing can you imagine? I'll tell you there are a few few, um, instances in Torah which are very reassuring to Jewish communal leaders, rabbis in particular Mm -hmm. for example, my favorite Pesach in the entire Megillus Esther is, at the very end Mordechai, who saves the Jewish people, at least the Jewish people of Shushan of Persia Mordechai is described as Ratzoi Lerov Echav. If they had an election to elect Mordechai, the rabbi, most of the people liked him. Ratzoi, he's beloved Lerov. Not Ratzoi Lerov Not He's not beloved to everybody. Lerov Echad. It's very reassuring to know. An effective leader is not loved by everybody. If you're unanimously loved, you're doing doing something wrong. Not right. Because it means you stand for nothing. So Moshe Rabbeinu too, it's reassuring to know the great Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu who was the leader who effectively... Uh, executes a kashbor whose will takes them out of Mitzrayim. Moshe Rabbeinu who communicates and gives them the Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu who gives them life itself to a certain degree as a nation, the birth of a nation. And here, it's very short-lived. Because in Jewish communal leadership, it's what have you done for me lately? What did you do for me today? And they are suspicious that there's, uh, there are funds missing. So Eila, and Mishkan, Moshe has to give a Pekudah, he has to give an accounting of the Mishkan. We talked about it another time, we're not going to get into it now, but the Medrash says that at first Moshe added it all up, and he got very nervous, because he couldn't account for a certain amount of the money. And he wondered where did it go? He knew he hadn't embezzled it, he hadn't taken it. Where did it go? And the answer is he had forgotten about the Vavim. The vavim are the hooks that hold the curtain together. And, as Rabbi J.J. Schachter has said so beautifully, what does it mean? It means the vavim, and there's a lot more to say on this, but just the brief version, the vavim are the hooks that bind things together. They're insignificant. Go to Home Depot, a tiny hook, it costs pennies, it costs nothing. But the truth is, the entire edifice, the entire building, the whole structure, depends on it. Without the hooks that hold things together, it collapses. Moshe had forgotten. And when he remembered the hooks, now, when he remembered the hooks, he was uh, tremendously relieved. That's where the money had gone. And, uh, of course, he was able to provide a full and comprehensive accounting. That's the letter Vav, Vav hachibur, The letter Vav, called the Vav in the hooks, because the Vav is what links us together. And it's a reminder of the importance of achtas. The things that hook us one to the other are very important. We can never never uh, dismiss them and never minimize them and uh, never forget their important role in our lives. The uh, materials for the mishkan. Now we get into Pekude is really a repeat, is the uh, the follow up to tetzave. We get into the big day kohuna, the clothing of the kohanim. We did in the Dafyomi maybe a month ago. A reminder: there's a fascinating machlokas we him, but at least according to the Rambam, the big day kohuna is what makes the kohen. If a kohen is not wearing his clothing, the, the he korbanos he offers are puzzle. Kohen has to be wearing the clothing. When it comes to the Kohanim, the clothing literally make the man. Without the Big Day Kahuna is Mishkin it's not, it's not. It's not considered avoda. It's only an avoda with the Big Day Kahuna. Why the Big Day Kahuna? What's the significance of the clothing of the kohen? There's a lot you can learn from here about the role of clothing. Also for a, another time. So it goes through all the kohen, the clothing of a regular kohen, clothing of the kohen Gadol. Then we have the commandment to set up the Mishkan, finally set up. And Hakadosh Baruch Hu moves into the Mishkan at the very end of Parshas Pekudei and the very end of Sefer Shmos is ananis <laughs> The cloud covers. <laughs> Hashem's uh, presence fills the Mishkan. He can be felt as if His presence is more is more intense in the Mishkan. And the Parsha uh, ends. Sefer Shmos ends. Chazak Chazak Venes Chazak. So going back to uh, going back to your question. If we add Truma to tzava, and we already spent significant amount of time with the dimensions and the materials and all of this, why are we repeating it? I mean, four out of five Parshios are redundant. It's tremendous amount of space. I mean, you could ask altogether, which the Rishonim mask on Parshish Truma, why did the Torah take up so much space to begin with? Is this a mitzvah which was given Lodoros? This was a one-time thing to build the Mishkan. Later, we had a base at Mikdash, and please God, we'll have a, building, a rebuilding of a base at Mikdash. Why so much space given to the detailed minutia of the building? So there are some who answer very beautifully that you know the, the the words of a song that we know, sung through centuries, why actually come from a a, a great kabbalist three hundred years ago, Bilvavi Mishkan Evne, that in my heart I will build a mishkan. And so the approach of many, including Rabbi Nachman and others, is who lived before this those words of that song, but that the reason the details are given at such length is because there's the physical mishkan, the physical tabernacle, which true was a horasha, was built in the in the midbar, but there's also the spiritual, there's also a metaphysical mishkan that we build in our hearts, that we build in our homes. And for each of these kelim, each of these utensils, we can extract lessons that are significant for the shulchan, for the table in our dining room and for the menorah, the light in our homes, and for the Mizbeach, the concept of self-sacrifice, of sacrificing animal, the animal impulse within us, and so on and so forth. There's symbolism, there are messages, there are lessons in each of these details that are relevant beyond the simple uh, legal sense. And that's why the Torah takes up so much space. But why the redundancy? That explains why it's given once. Why the redundancy? Why are Truma and Tetzava repeated? Uh, uh, why are Vayaka Pekudei a repetition of Truma and Tetzava? The Torah is otherwise a very concise, even at times cryptic, and yet here it seems to repeat itself with nothing novel to add. There's almost nothing new. So why didn't it just tell us? Why didn't it just tell us that the Mishkan was built the way it was instructed? So I'll tell you the story of a remarkable woman named Zoe Kaplowitz. I've told you about her before. Zoe Kaplowitz um, has competed in a tremendous amount of marathons. And when elite athletes passed her by, and when hardcore runners went by, and when casual runners all passed her by, nevertheless, she continued to walk and walk and walk and walk. And when every one of the other thousands of people in the New York City Marathon had finished, she kept walking. Zoe Kaplowitz finish line, She she has competed in at least 20 New York City marathons. And the last one she competed in, she finished in just under 29 hours. I mean, that's greater than Rand Paul doing a filibuster. 29 hours. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine walking 29 hours? She wears braces on her back and her knee. She wears crutches. She walks the entire route At, at almost 60 years old. She has multiple sclerosis and diabetes And uh, she does whatever it takes to finish these marathons. In the year 2000, she set a record, the longest finishing time in a marathon, 36 hours and 9 minutes. So why am I sharing this with you? Because she wrote a book called The Winning Spirit, Life Lessons Learned in Last Place. Life Lessons Learned in Last Place, The Winning Spirit. And after a marathon that she finished literally a day later than everyone else. She didn't finish an hour later. She didn't finish a few hours later. She finished a day later than everyone else. She said the following, quote, the marathon is really only a metaphor for life. I'm sending a message to everyone. You don't need to win the race to be a winner in life. Everybody faces marathons each day. Whether it be looking after kids, parents, or at work, it's about finishing what you started. It's about finishing what you started. And that's the premise of her book. You're a winner if you finished what you started, even if you came in last place. The value of finishing what you started. Said Rav Avram Pam, Zecher Levracha. Why do we have Parshas? Va'yakel and almost a direct verbatim repetition of Truman Tetzave, we have it so that we can see one word which is used over and over and over again. You see, in Truman Tetzave, the Torah says constantly, Ve'asisa, you shall make; Ve'asisa, you shall build; Ve'asisa, you shall construct; Ve'asisa, 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 you shall, you shall, you shall. Va'yakel Pakudei, we have almost the exact same details, the dimensions. And the materials is one word. Instead of saying v'asisa, it says "vayas," and he made. And the lesson says Rav Paham is simple. The planning stage, the initial vision, the original design was followed through to reality. The you shall make became and he made. It was worth repeating everything to be able to review the details and say, everything that was described as ve'asisa, so you shall make, repeat it and say, repeat it and be able to say, um, v'yas, and he made. Follow through to completion. It's a very rare quality. It's so difficult. So much so that the Torah repeats, dedicates valuable space to emphasize the importance and the value in bringing a vision to reality, seeing a project all the way through to fruition. Moshe's work, B'tzalel's work, was completed exactly as planned. And that is so rare. It's so unusual. The Torah thought it worthy of repeating to be able to say, Vayas! They did exactly as they were told to do. Yes? Also uh, as God commanded. And as also as God commanded. Yeah, that's the Beis Alevi. The Beis Alevi we saw last week that kisisa after the cheta ego really the mishkan ain't muktamuhcha b'torah the mishkan really it's written out of order really the cheta ego came first what was the cheta ego we developed last week from the kuzari and the meshechachma and the beisalevi that the cheta ego really was not a form of idolatry it was not a form of infidelity it was an attempt to worship Hashem through a tangible means but they made the mistake of constructing their own tangible means not following the the uh, prescription of the divine. And the of Levi says, that's why Vayaka Pakude repeat themselves. Because Truman and or are the Rafua before the Makkah. Tells us about the Mishkan, even before what they did wrong. Then we have the story of what they did wrong. Now Vayaka Pakude repeat the Mishkan, but this time they say, kashertzi Vahashem. Says the of Levi. if you look at Vayaka Pakude, you'll see kashertzi Tzivah Hashem over and over and over and over again. Why? To remind us that it's legitimate, it is valid to need to connect to Hashem through something tangible. What's not legitimate or valid is to make it up ourselves. It has to be kashurtsi vashem. But if Pam says the message of Ayaka the repetition is that it's nice to have big dreams. It's nice to have big goals. It's nice to start projects all over your house. It's nice to begin the diet or start the exercise program, start the dafyomi, start tanachyomi. We all have big plans, right? Exercise, diet, home projects, work, volunteering, learning projects. But you know that in January, more than twice as many people sign up for a gym than in any other month of the year. In the month of January, more than twice as many people sign up than any month of the year. Because we mean, well, January, New Year's resolutions, everybody's going to exercise, right? And then inevitably and invariably, for most people, something gets in the way and we drop it. So Vayaka Pekudai says, Rapa Mar came, is, is um, reminding us Vayas. He did. Kasher Tzivon. Follow through all the way. In fact, the Shulchan Aruch quotes a principle in halacha. Says the Shulchan Aruch, Bemitzvah, Omrim lo gomor." Someone who starts a mitzvah, we tell him to stop. We don't tell him to pass the baton or to hand it off or to take a partner. We say gomor. You started it, finish strong. Now, I would have thought if sharing is caring, then I would have thought that we should share the mitzvah with others, reward others with the mitzvah. Isn't it amazing though? We don't see that. Instead. Instead, someone who starts a mitzvah should see it all the way through in order to be a model of the concept of finishing what you started, of seeing it all the way through, of vayas, to finish what you started. The Mesil uh, Sisharim has a fascinating insight. The of Moshe Chaim He says in his parak on Zerizos, in his chapter that deals with the issue of alacrity, zeal, enthusiasm. So he says a fascinating, brilliant insight. He says there's two types of Zerizos. Most people only focus on the first. There's the first kind of resource alacrity that says, get up and get started. Stop being lazy. You have something to do, go and do it. Right? The concept of zeal. Don't be a lazy good for nothing bum. Get up off that couch. Get busy. Do something. You have something to do, do it. But he says there's a second type of resource that people neglect. And that is the Zerce that's necessary when you run into a wall. Everybody runs into a wall. You started the project. You started the idea, you set the goal, you began the exercise, you, and then everybody runs into a wall. If you've ever dieted, you've ever exercised, and you were successful, you ever started a project of the Dafya, you hit this wall. It's inevitable, you're going to hit that wall. That's when you need a second burst of zrizos, says the Ramchal. That too is zrizos. It's to say, I have alacrity to not only start a project, I have alacrity to get to the end. It's a second form of zrizus, and Rav Pam explains that's the whole reason for baya'ka pukudei, in order to remind us of the importance, the significance, the greatness of finishing what you started. Okay, let's go through some psukim. Super- zrizus means enthusiasm. Oh, enthusiasm, enthusiasm. Okay. like mm-hmm. zrizim makdim lemitzvos. Why do we do the bris first thing in the morning? You could do a bris anytime before sunset on the eighth day. Why do we do it first thing in the morning? Zrizim makdim lemitzvos. Because someone with alacrity advances the mitzvah. If you love the mitzvah, you're not going to wait till. if it's your spouse's birthday and you love your spouse, you, know, you could wish them a happy birthday at 11.59 at night. I don't know what that's going to do for the relationship. <laughs> the spouse says, you know, you forgot my birthday. No, I didn't. 11.58, I gave you a card. Wished you a happy birthday. <laughs> you're really excited you love your spouse. Before you, he even wakes up, there's a card on the pillow. There's a note on the mirror. There's a reason my demon. You, you show your enthusiasm, shows your attitude, shows your carrier concern. What are we learning from? Avram. Avram woke up in the morning early to saddle his donkey for the Akedah. Right? In contrast, Bilam also woke up early in the morning to saddle his donkey. He had great enthusiasm and zeal for what he did. I once gave a Chabura on Zrizim zri z- HaKdim in the Mitzvah. not for now, but it's an interesting as Rishonim. Is Zrizim HaKdim in the Mitzvah a kium in the Mitzvah or is it a separate Mitzvah? When you do something early... Is that doing the mitzvah, but doing it extra well? Or is there a parallel second mitzvah of Zriz and Makdimin? What's an afkamina? What's a practical difference? So, do you get a mitzvah, the earliest time in the morning to do a bris milah, you can't do the bris until after, until after Nates, sunrise. That's when you do the mitzvah. What if I start to lay out the utensils, on the mo'al, and I start to prepare everything, get the baby prepared, I do everything even before sunrise. I so said at the moment of sunrise, I can do the bris. Did I fulfill the mitzvah of Zrizim Maktimen? So if you say Zrizim is part of the mitzvah of bris milah, I didn't. Because I did it when it was dark out. It wasn't yet the time of bris milah. But if you say Zrizim Maktimen is a separate mitzvah, that I can fulfill it even though the time for bris has not yet come. And that's actually, believe it or not, a machlokas rishonim. So Zrizim Maktimen, is that part of the mitzvah or is it a separate mitzvah to do it with a sense of zrizus, with enthusiasm and alacrity? But that's what our parshayos are about. Kein ta'asu to vayas. So shall you do, became, and he did. Can you finish that project with great joy, with great pride, say, I saw it to its end, I saw it to completion. A couple more thoughts. To go back to the beginning of Parshas vayakal. First of all, it's interesting to note, as uh, my Rebbe Rav has, when does Moshe assemble the people to teach them which law? Shabbos. When is it worthy of assembling the people? To remind them about Shabbos. The Helic of Shabbos. Covered Shabbos. Honoring Shabbos. Keeping Shabbos. There's a connection between the concept of Vayakel, of kihila and Shabbos. The Ramban talks about going to shul, coming together on Shabbos, even if one doesn't during the week. There's a concept of connecting with community. There were, those who learned the Daf Yomi also familiar. It's a fascinating. We learned uh, two three months ago in the daf that you're not allowed to learn, one should not read the Ksuvim on Shabbos, the third section of Tanakh on Shabbos. It's the of Talmud Torah, why shouldn't you learn it? So the Gemara, that was the Mishnah, so the Gemara explains, we don't learn the Ksuvim on Shabbos, because every rabbi gives a drush a Shabbos afternoon, there's a shear. If you're at home reading Ksuvim, it reads better than any novel. It's going to be so uh, gripping, you're not going to put it down and you're going to miss the shir. So since that was a time of Yarch uh, that was a time that people came together for learning, we don't want you to miss the She'er, so you're not allowed to read the Ksuvim on Shabbos. I actually spoke between Menchemar one day. That might be why we have the change in benching, according to some between Magdil and Migdol. During the week, we say Magdil, which is a pasuk from uh, Tehillim. And on Shabbos, we say Migdol, which is a pasuk from Sefer Shmuel. So, some suggest the reason we switch is we shouldn't be reading Suvim, Tehillim, and Shabbos. So we use the Migdal, the Chirik, where David was the composer of both. Same passage, Magdal Yeshuva's Marko Migdal Yeshua's malko. He wrote the same words, once as Magdal, once as Migdal, but we don't use the one from Tehillim on Shabbos. So in any case, but what do you see? The Shabbos was a time of gathering. This is Chazal, the time of Chazal, our rabbis. Every Shabbos, those who couldn't attend Shirim all week long, but Shabbos, he came together. It's a time of Kiilah, Vayakel Moshe. Moshe gathers everybody, and what is that associated with? The laws of Shabbos. What's the connection to Vayakel gathering the people and teaching the laws of Shabbos and the end of last week's Parsha? Sure. We very often, the Rishona ask and the Parshim ask, why do we juxtapose the narratives, the sections that we have, why do they appear in the order that they do? So the Balaturim. Of Yaakov ben Asher, look at the Mikraos Gedolos. Says the Balaturim, Vayakel, Ksiv Ki Karen or How did the end of last week's parsha end? The light that emanated from Moshe. Moshe came out. If you remember the end of Parsha's Kisisa, what happens? Let's look at the pesukim. We had the lights coming forth. Uvavol Moshe l'ofnei Hashem. Moshe comes from before Hashem, he takes off his mask. The Jewish people saw his face, Ki Karon or p'nei Moshe. They see that there is a light emanating. So these carne hod, these light. Renaissance artists misinterpreted this to draw horns. The misnomer, the Jews have horns. But there was light. Where did the light come from, by the way? The Medrash tells us. It was the Dio and the Kumus. The pen that Moshe used when he was transcribing the Torah that God had given him on Harsinai, the kulmus, the pen, had extra ink. And the extra ink was written on his forehead and that was the light that came out. Azayzak the medjush. That's what the medjush says. The kulmus, the dio in the kulmus. That's where the light came from. What's pshat? Hashem miscalculated, Moshe miscalculated. Too much ink. They thought they would continue to write and they didn't. What does it mean? Many, many interpretations. But I suggested last week and about mitzvah, that maybe what it means is, the extra ink indicates that the book is incomplete. We continue to write the next chapter. Yes, the book is complete in terms of the word of Hashem. The Chumash is a sealed document, in terms of divinely written our Torah. But homiletically, we continue to write the next chapter. The light that came from Moshe was the Tzal Moshe too is a scribe. He scribes the next story in his life and in the collective life of the Jewish people. And we also, there's ink in our pen. There was enough ink for every one of us to write our own chapter to contribute to the story of the Jewish people. The book, the story is not over. It's not complete. Perhaps that's what it means. So says the Balaturim, the end of last week's Pasha ended, Ki or Panuf and we begin with Shabbos. What's the connection between the light of Moshe's face and Shabbos? Lomar to teach says the Balaturim the that a person's face on Shabbos is different than the rest of the week. The that I just told you the connection of Vayakel and Shabbos is a remez that's specifically on Shabbos and Yantif, we gather vayakal, the the kihila gathers in order to the drasha in order to learn Torah. So what's the connection between the end of the last week's parsha and the beginning of this week says the Balaturim? The connection is the idea of the Panim. Moshe's face was a glow, and Shabbos, every one of our faces, is a glow. The word punim, Maral says punim, comes from pnim. A person's face reveals what's going on inside them. We also just had this in the daf. One rabbi sees the other, says, What's the matter? saw so his face was changed afterwards, he saw things were better. When you read a person's face, you can see the panim reveals the pnim. The person's face reveals what's going on inside of them. Shabbos are face changes. Relaxed. It's me'in olam haba, the, the work that I have to do, I can't do, even if I want to. I'm surrounded by friends and families, eating delicious delicacies. Shabbos, we have a new face. And that's the connection, says the Baal I'll share with you, I shared this on Shabbos HaGodol. I think a beautiful insight. The Menachem Tzion, Rav Menachem Ben Zion Sax, he was a Rosh Hashiva in Chicago, son-in-law of Rav Tzvi Pesach Frank, he died in the year 1987. So in his book, he has the following, in say Sefer, Menachem Tzion, is has the following insight. He says, ain't You know that when a couple get married, assuming neither of them have been married before, we make Sheva Bruchos. Sheva Brachas. Yechav and I are hosting Sheva Brachas tonight at our home for a young couple. Sheva Brachas. The halacha is that when you make Sheva Brachas, if all you have are people who are already at the wedding, you can't recite the Sheva Brachas. In order to recite the Sheva Brachas, because essentially each evening is a recreation of the wedding. The wedding is not one night, it's seven nights long. We recreate the joy of the wedding for seven nights long. So you can't recreate the wedding with the exact same characters who are at the wedding. You need someone who wasn't at the wedding, who's here now, what we call panum Chadashos, a new face. So that there's a new joy, and that new joy of the new person allows for the recitation of Sheva brachas. But says Tosfos in Ksubas Dav that on Shabbos, the Sheva Shabbos, Sheva you don't need any new faces. Why, says Tosfos? Because Shabbos is the Panum Chadashos. Shabbos itself is the Panam Chadashos. So classically it's meant, to, it's understood, what's Tosso saying, that you know, Shabbos is, is a new time, Shabbos is a new reality. So Shabbos is a, adds a new component of joy. The new joy of Shabbos allows you to say Shevah even if everyone in attendance was at the wedding as well. Says the Menachem Tzion of Menachem Ben sacks something so beautiful. Ki Shabbos mahapich asikos le chadashos. Shabbos takes the worn out, Tired Downtrodden Depressed Face of a person And gives them a new face What do we say on Friday night? Of al And his L'Chadodi We say Come my beloved L-Kadodi, To be able to welcome the Kala What do we welcome? P'nei Shabbos Nikabla Pine Shabas. Shabas, Hainu Shahaz, Machalama Akhl Shikab, Tmurus Panay Hob Pine Shabis. A Panam Kadasha Shah Shabas Msha Shomreha. Shabas brings with it a panam khadashos, meaning whose whose punam is khadash? Ours. It's not that Shabbos is the Panam Chadashos, but when Shabbos comes in, you light those candles, you say Kabbalah Shabbos, all of our faces change. The stress, the tension is gone, the joy, the relaxation, a sense of serenity comes. And he says, that's Pshat, in Tosos, the idea that Shabbos, you don't need Panam Chadashos because you have Panam Chadashos, it doesn't mean Shabbos as in the 24 hour period. It means we have a new face. Even if I was at the wedding on Tuesday night, the me of Shabbos is different than the person who was at the wedding. I am new. I am a new somebody. P'nei Shabbos in the Kabbalah means put on your Shabbos face, let's go greet the queen. It doesn't mean let's greet the face of the queen. It means you put on your P'nei Shabbos, put on your Shabbos face. It's time to go greet the queen. That Shabbos provides a new face, a new relaxation. Rabbi Salavechik said so beautifully, wrote so beautifully, this story, it and Shabbos Shuvah, I forgot, I wish I brought it. I could have read it to you inside. But basically he describes that he went to to this uh, shtibol in his town of Haslovich as uh, Shabbos was ending. He used to go for Shalashuras there and they would sing and the Rebbe would say Adrasha and it would get dark. It was pitch black. It was way after Shabbos ended. So he asked this guy, No, when are we going to Davon Marv? So the man says, You don't recognize me? And it turns out it was Yosela, the water carrier who all week long was a schlepper in torn clothing and looked disheveled and was schlepping and downtrodden and barely earned enough to sustain himself. And the Rav writes, he didn't recognize him. He was wearing his strimal and his bekesha. His bekesha was missing buttons and had a tear in it. And yet, he looked so regal and he looked so alive. So the Rav said to him, Nu, when is Marav? When are we davening Marav? And the Chassid turned and said something to the Rav that he never forgot the rest of his life. He said, do you love the weekday so much that you can't wait for Shabbos to end? That's what the Chasid said to the Rav. Do you love the weekday so much that you can't wait for Shabbos to end? I feel like saying that Motzei Shabbos, people yell at me, we're a minute late for Marv. Gotta run to the movie, I gotta go out for dinner, I gotta... I say, do you love the week so much? Is the week so great that you can't wait for Shabbos to end? To take off your Pnei Shabbos and put back on your Pnei Chol with stress and tension and, and challenges and obligations and tasks... So that's pshat, says the Balaturim, the connection between the end of last week's parsha the beginning of ours, Vayakha Moshe, the idea of gathering the people specifically for Shabbos, the, the drasha was on Shabbos, and the idea of the, the light that Moshe had on his face at the end of last week's parsha is the light every one of us could have on our face each and every Shabbos if we are able to retreat into the serenity of Shabbos successfully, if we could put on our Pnei Shabbos, Pnei Shabbos and the Kabbalah, go greet the Queen with the Pnei Shabbos, then the Pnei Shabbos are the Panam Chadashos, Tosos. you could have Sheva even if everyone was at the wedding. You know why? Everyone in that room was at the wedding? Yes. No one at that room was at the wedding. Because the Shabbos version of all those people wasn't at the wedding. And that's a new version of those people. And that in fact is the, is the Panam Chadashos. By okay, the we're going how I feel when it's all over. Oh, I don't want to see it in. Right. I'd like it to continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like Hashem, like Sukkot, you know, one more day. Kasha Allah stay one more day. Do you love the weekday so much that you can't wait for Shabbos to end? <laughs> all right, we'll stop here everybody. Have a great Shabbos. Thank you.